0: Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. Hello. Hey, Gordo. How are you doing?
1: Good. We just had our
0: first live event. It was so much fun it to see all the fun. happy faces on Zoom. It was really good. It
1: went by so fast. I know. And
0: it makes me sad because I know we're going to grow because this was a super intimate, awesome... Yeah, we like, How many people, people do we have? Like 20 people yeah. event? So people could just say hi i have mm-hmm. a question but you know when you have a 40 people event a person sorry 40 person event you can't do that yeah. so it's i don't know this was nice intimate mm-hmm. fun and we'll see what it's like as we yeah, as, we'll as we grow to, and get bigger
1: we do webinars or something different, yeah but yeah we'll
0: see yeah, it was, it was nice. awesome it was good we we talked about um all the sexy things circumcision <laughs> female genital mutilation yeah.
1: we've we got into it
0: um the economics of virgin testing
1: coinage
0: yeah, coinage, a little bit of unsexy.
1: Yeah, we talked. Coinage is always a the bit. most
0: unsexy topic.
1: But we um so we had some questions. So today's episode is the August Patreon questions. Love it. So people submitted questions um, prior to the event and then we also gathered the questions left over from the event that we did not get to. So yeah. we'll cover those today. Um, so let's just get right into it.
0: Yes, I'm I'm here for it.
1: Um, our first question is from Victoria.
0: Yeah,
1: and they say, "Hi, Kara." In a future, hey Victoria. In a future Q and A, which here we are. <laughs> can you talk about the ancient Egyptians' relationship to alcohol, ah. especially in relation to the myth of Sekhmet Hathor? Yeah. Do they have rituals or traditions directly related to drinking? Also thank you for giving me something to listen to while moving into and cleaning a new house it made the time pass much more enjoyably
0: thank oh, you oh that's awesome you know I have my podcast that I listen to where I just listen to the same people uh, for for hours and hours yep. upon end so I'm glad that you've let us into your household moving domestic space in that way we are we are honored and privileged um, alcohol is a super interesting topic because it's the best way to preserve grain over time. You can't yep. preserve bread. You can't ferment it. Get moldy. Gets gets moldy. It's no good to eat fermented bread. <laughs> um, it's a science experiment. It's something I put in my compost. It's not. Yeah. It's not something you want to save. But fermented grain in a liquid base is awesome. It's something that means you can keep your harvest for mm-hmm. longer. You can feed people from that harvest. There's calories.
1: Intake, so.
0: It saves people from drinking water that might have amoebic mm-hmm. uh, animals in it or other kinds of like bilharzia or uh, other issues, nutritious, right? Yeah, it's nutritious. Safe. It's safe. Um, there's and all kinds fun. of things, and, and it's it's, alcohol. F- and it's so <laughs> fucking fun. So alcohol is great, and um, and. Children would have drunk alcohol earlier yeah, than well we again. expect in yeah. the ancient world,
1: and we have to remember that their beer wouldn't have been our eight percent like IPAs no. or something. It no, would have like been, a you know, three to four percent kind of thing, like, a very light Bud Light.
0: Yeah, and you know, I don't, I don't do experiments with these things, but there are people who do, and they take it very, very seriously. What this soupy nutritional beer would have actually been like, but chunky. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> and maybe the nicer versions were strained yeah. and. The more well, strained ones. Straw,
1: evidence of straws. That's
0: true. To but not they
1: kind of strain out for the, Egypt,
0: yes, but only in Bronze Age, late Bronze Age yeah, Egypt, do you evidence. see those things. Whereas the straws for for West Asia are mm-hmm. much earlier. But anyway. Maybe
1: the Egyptians liked their beer chunky. Maybe it was a cultural thing.
0: Or, you know, in the same way when you drink tea, do you have a tea bag or do mm-hmm. you put it in a sieve? Does your tea pot have little yep. strainers? You know, how does this work? Because straining the thing that is delicious that gives you the nutrients that gives you the alcohol that gives you the taste you want that in there in some yeah. ways it probably tastes better i bet beer with chunks in it yeah <laughs> might well, like actually a, kind be of better more like a gruel yeah kind of yeah
1: i actually listened to a podcast recently about early beer yeah um and they were saying that early beer since they were you, you know using wild uh strands of yeast and all this stuff just like whatever was in the air it was much more like a sour Um, sour beers. So it was like a mix of a sour, like rule thing.
0: And I know that working with Seamus Blackley and Serena Love and their bread experiments, Mm -hmm. their bread is very sourdough based because it's an air caught bacteria. And the sourdough uh, yeast that they use was from a beer jar Mm -hmm. to make the bread and bread and beer making and the yeast that you use for each, they really do go hand in hand. Absolutely. But then, so the question, Victoria, Victoria, right? Yep. Okay, is about is about the relationship to alcohol, and I would say that the relationship that the ancient Egyptians had to alcohol was as complicated and and um, messed up as our own is. Yeah,
1: they were paid in beer.
0: Yeah, could be. Some you could get earliest, a daily ration.
1: Earliest atteta- attestations of um, industrial mm-hmm. labor we have are these giant breweries. Most recently found at Abydos. Yeah, where we have this huge brewing installation. And why? Because your
0: laborers need this many loaves of bread and this many jars of beer.
1: And, you know, if you're a king and you want to co-opt a bunch of love from your people, having a nice festival and you give... All your people
0: beer. I mean you and I know when you go on an excavation there's
1: always and beer. you're out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> if
0: it's a good excavation yeah. there's always those shitty excavations that don't give you enough beer, they don't oh. give you enough food and you're like we're starving and we're sober and it's horrible oh. whereas the ones where you feel libated and happy yeah, there's beer, those are the like, ones well, it
1: sucks but the I The work beer, happens
0: so. more quick, more easily, yeah. everyone's Half kinder happier. to each other. Yes. So beer you could argue is a release valve. Mhm. And that's a complicated relationship, however, because if, it, if you need the release, that means there's a pressure being built mm-hmm. up. And one of the best stories that we have about alcohol from ancient Egypt is the tale called The Destruction of Mankind, preserved in one place, I believe, and that is the tomb of Seti I. And in The Destruction of Mankind, you read that Hathor is incredibly angry because her father, the sun god, is being rebelled against, mm-hmm. and she is being sent out as the Eye of Rey yep. to act against the rebels. And she does so, and she does so too well, because she's just gobbling up the rebels and just like bloodthirsty and just, I will kill you all. And then some of the gods, and I believe it's Thoth mm-hmm. and somebody else, I yeah, don't know who. I Thoth. But Thoth is there, Thoth is always there. And they're like, oh shit, she's not stopping and what do we do about Hawthor, a.k.a. Tefnut, a.k.a. Sekhmet, yeah, exactly. And, and now she's pissed off. It brings in one of the complicating ambivalent factors, which is that beer, um, well, wait, sorry. Ambivalent factors that, yeah, that beer is needed to calm down certain aspects of beer, overwork yes, or abuse. Depressant. <laughs> or um, it's, it's a way to get people to do what you want. In the same way that the excavation allows mm-hmm. beer to do what you want. So Hawthorne is gobbling up all of the people that we can't get her to stop. And they go out and they ask her, please stop. And she's like, no, she's bloodthirsty. She's lost it. She this, is, this is its own ambivalence about females and their personalities that we could discuss yeah. later. But then... They decide, okay, we're gonna we found this depression in the desert. They're
1: like, What do we do? Let's get her wasted. Yes.
0: <laughs> so then she'll fall asleep. Yeah. But she's like a giant goddess now. Yeah, she's, she's gobbled like, up all of so humanity. Like, it's like she's Godzilla, yeah. you know, roaming the, yeah. the landscape. So they fill this depression with and they say like twenty thousand jars yeah, it's of beer. All this beer. Yeah. And then they put the ochre in there, and it's like ten thousand jars of ochre. But you need to
1: color it like blood, because exactly. otherwise she's not gonna drink it, because she's real bloodthirsty right now.
0: And they're like, okay, there's a lake of blood. Hey, Hathor. Hathor,
1: hey, look, some blood for you. Come over
0: here, the blood of your victims. And she's like, ah, like Godzilla, yes. and she drinks it, and she becomes very. So
1: she's like chill. Calm,
0: and she falls asleep. They probably shake their sistra Yeah. And, and she's okay again. She
1: becomes back to Hathor or right.
0: <laughs> And so it's the same kind of thing that you and I always say on this podcast, that when you see something in the ancient texts that says, don't do this, or we avoid doing this, or that thing is bad, it means those things are happening, mm-hmm. right? And in this case, it means that you have an element of society, in this case, the daughter of the ruler, Yep. whether it be the sun god or the king or whatever, but somebody in the court who is doing a function and that function is too much for them and too demanding and it changes them mm-hmm. in their soul and mind and heart yeah. that beer is one way that brings them back to reality a, a, a humanity mm-hmm. like it's beer is the like a kind of leveler
1: yeah
0: it, it makes you.
1: Well, everyone, everyone can get drunk.
0: Everyone can get drunk. You know,
1: we, and we all and know we all you, are affected by it like, and we all get to
0: the same place. Say you're at a conference. Yeah. And
1: yeah. And you get like someone who is like in your, in your head, like this yes. super prestigious yes. professor and you see them drunk. You're like, oh wow. They're like a normal person. Normal too. person who
0: says stupid shit. Yeah. Or is complaining about things, or they're slurring their words. You're yeah. like, oh my goodness, you're like the most important professor in yeah, our field. I'm going to help yeah, you so. get to the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, things like that. It happens all the time. Yeah. So the alcohol is like, it's a social equalizer. Mm-hmm. It's a way to calm things down when people are overworked, overburdened. Um, I, I like community building. Community yeah. building. Um, but I like the feminists or the misogynist aspect of this tale. But it's that it's the woman who needs it. That the woman is hysterical. She's out of... Yes, she's... Vengeful. Vengeful. She's like this evil witch-like creature. Needs
1: to be tamed.
0: hmm Yeah. Needs to be out domesticated. Control. Needs to be domesticated. By beer. <laughs> beer is domesticated grain. It will domesticate her. And I think that the connection is there. Hmm. It's real. We domesticate people Mm -hmm. in patriarchy and
1: arguably in David Graeber's debt. Yes. Women. Yes. Are the first people that are domesticated Yes, for like women and enslaved peoples.
0: So that men get to have their sexual freedom. Whereas women's has to be controlled. Right. Yes. Um, And it it links back to some of the things we were talking about with sexual uh, genital mutilation um, and the vis-a-vis the sexes and how the men are circumcised, but it doesn't necessarily affect their sex life in the same way that female genital mutilation does.
1: So then, what are we have these festivals of drunkenness yeah. to Hathor?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, how do those relate to things? What are those? What are the purposes of those? They happen in that moot
0: precinct as well. Well, in typical fashion for the ancient Egyptians, they don't talk about them directly. Yeah. And so you have to look at the work of somebody like Betsy Bryan. Mm-hmm and look at her work on um, she has articles about sex drugs and rock and roll the feast of drunkenness she works at the moot precinct moot is uh, akin to the goddess Sekhmet, Tefnut, or Hathor. And
1: all the female goddesses are essentially one and the same.
0: They make them one and the same. It's really awful. So it's it's another amb- of each other. Yes, yeah. there's another ambivalence there, which is that all chicks are the same. But it
1: makes it hard to study them. It does. Hathor as Sekhmet, yes. as Mut, as this. And you're like, well, they're all actually... Which is
0: which, and why do they not get, be- get to be different? Why is Geb so different from Thoth, mm-hmm. so different from Amun-Rei? Maybe their own individual gods. One and- is the god of writing, and the other is the god of hiddenness and the other's god of solarity and the chicks are just god of being chicks in a patriarchal regime where their womb is everything and they're there to surround the patriarch with their with their loving womb-like protection Mm -hmm. it's very annoying but yes so the in answer to your question the feast of drunkenness is like you know you'll see things in a private tomb without a text i was going to say so you have all these tomb scenes of these feasting. Yes.
1: But there's actually no feasting going on. It's just drinking. Yes. And it's drinking to the point of throwing up and And there
0: are scenes of this where there's like there's not many. Mm -hmm. It's like people pushing the envelope of what they can show in a particular scene and they'll show a woman who's just vomiting over to the side Mm -hmm. and and then it says let me get you more or something like that. The
1: point is to get to the state of excess and, and to reach some type of altered state of being you know you're so drunk that you then see the goddess or something you're
0: supposed to go into the temple and the uh, yes and the priests bring out the the goddess and music there's music playing incense there's maybe sexual activity everyone's totally drunk off their gourd and then the goddess comes out and it's a big social release moment but you know that these tombs are made by and for rich people And the people depicted giving the drinks to the, the people are poor servant people and the rich people, are the ones receiving it. And so you wonder, is this a release valve between rich and poor, or is it a release valve amongst the rich only? And how are we to understand this? I
1: push back that those girls serving them are probably still elite. Oh, you,
0: you like may they're like, a point.
1: They're like women of They're the just court. young,
0: naked, and, just and naked. hot. Yeah. But okay. I think
1: they're still actually like ladies in waiting,
0: like they're still elite women. And so what you're saying, and I, I can go with this, that every status uh, level within Egyptian society would have participated in this. Some would have been at the very top, some would have been here, mm-hmm. and, and on, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm fine with that.
1: But still, yeah. my, what interests me most is why is drunkenness related to this like, liminal state? Where like Hathor being, she's the goddess of drunkenness and of like music and all these things that I think are connected to calling forth or bringing humans to this liminal state between where they can commune with the gods. Yeah. And Hathor being the lady of the west, right? She's the she's the goddess that brings you into the necropolis, into the afterlife. And so music, dancing, alcohol brings you to these states of an alteredness or the where you can commune with the gods or the gods make their appearance or you call forth the gods and and that's what interests me
0: there's a famous food writer whose name I can't remember but it starts with a P and amber if you can Google I would love you it's um, like Pollock or Michael Pollock oh, Michael Pollan Pollan, mm-hmm. that's it we got it never mind no googling yeah so there's a famous food writer named yeah, Michael Pollan I know what you're talking about. who has just written a book on altered states yep. And he says that the human like is the your mind only, on
1: plants or something. yes,
0: yeah. it's the only animal that searches out altered states and that altered states are our way of dealing with one another socially, mm-hmm. learning how to deal with our big brains mm-hmm. and releasing our big brain thought, um, yeah, so dealing Scary. with death, we can, which we can actually think of beforehand, which another animal arguably cannot. Yep. Though I'm that's debatable for elephants octopi and yeah. you know Well they know whales. other things have died
1: once they've already been dead, but can Maybe. they think of the future?
0: Don't know. don't know. Don't know. Yeah. But but Michael Pollan's, you know, this this idea that we we crave altered states. And all these plants yeah. are it's poison, right? You can overdo it and die. Well, you and I do our we do our <laughs> podcast and we always have wine. Yeah. We've never not had wine. Mm-mm. Because it... It makes us relaxed we can Fun. talk more easily we're not like oh it has to be a certain way yeah. which our sober state would impose in many ways so it, it, we don't think of the stakes of it we don't think how many people mm-hmm. are listening we're just here you know yeah. with our glass of wine um in the middle of the China. day on a saturday or sunday <laughs> um and and so yeah i i like this idea about alcohol being a human necessity but then we've talked about this so many times that hunter gathers (laughs) for hundreds of thousands of years, but they have, they have altered states. They can get their ayahuasca. They can get their, there's mushrooms, there's all kinds of things.
1: You could have made honey, honey ferments. Yeah. They got plenty. They love the honey. Yeah. So they're still fermenting things.
0: Yeah. So it's just something that people, people need to do. And as we point out, rich, poor, male, female, though, of course they always try to restrict it from the females and the children. Not that children should necessarily be doing these things because it can hurt their developing brains, but females are treated much more strictly mm-hmm. vis-a-vis these altered substances in most societies versus males. Yep. So
1: Egypt seems a little bit more loose with it.
0: Ancient, ancient Egypt. Egypt. <laughs> yes, ancient ancient
1: Egypt. You know but modern yes, like, Egypt. If we look at Greece for example, like the women aren't hanging out in the symposium. Yeah. Drinking. They're like sex sequestered off, yeah. not drinking, weaving yeah. in a room by themselves.
0: But how strange is it that modern Egypt with the Arab invasion or Arab um, conquest, mm-hmm. you get a, a place that is filled with grain, yeah. the harvested and fermented products of which should not be drunk. Why? Because you've been occupied by an elite replacement of people from the Arabian Peninsula who cannot grow domesticated grain Mm -hmm. and thus see it as an urban, globalized threat that all alcohol drinking is bad and that's the way they see this alcohol consumption. And it doesn't quite work. So when you go to Egypt, you see alcohol consumption regularly Mm -hmm. happening or you see people using pharmaceuticals in a way that is like alcohol because that's considered not haram. Um, problematic, but something more in line with, oh, this is just something I need at the end of Mm -hmm. the day. So, you know, in modern Egypt, you may not drink alcohol, but you may pop a Valium at the end of the day. And smoke a lot. And maybe smoke a whole lot of shisha. (laughs) Yeah. It's so true. So. Which is and and don't mistake every culture us. has their vice. Shisha is not um, if you it's not a marijuana based thing. No, no, no. You go to tobacco. Egypt, you can smoke shisha all night long, and it's just a tobacco. Mm-hmm. It'll still have a nice high well, to you it. You can get buzzed. Yes, you can. Yeah, it's yes, strong. You can.
1: Um, but yeah, needless to say, everyone has ways of taking off the edge of yeah everyday life yeah. and issues like that, and yeah. the Egyptians, ancient Egyptians too. Yeah, and so. Alcohol is a good way to make your people happy, to have a party and connect the gods and all these things.
0: It's why during COVID, you know, people would meet up on Zooms with a drink in hand. And how many COVID meetings do we have where people got drunk alone Mm -hmm. on a Zoom screen? And you're just like
1: drinking actually alone. It's true,
0: but like that was one release valve for a whole lot of people, and it, it shows our our human connection. And there's a part of me that's like, you know, I may live five years less overall because, because I go to conferences and I drink or I hang out with you and we drink whatever (laughs) it is, but like,
1: okay. That's going to be the thing that takes me out. I'm okay.
0: Yeah. I'm all right with that because it's, I mean, and and for all of you listening who are triggered by this, who are in AA, I have relatives and friends who are um, months or years sober and I, I feel that's wonderful and good, and we're not trying to mess with you. Yep. Um, it's, it's just a, an Everything interesting in discussion of yeah. human um, vices, release methods, and all of these things can be taken to too far mm-hmm. a degree.
1: Yeah. 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 Our big brains can distort Our things. big brains need Very, so much. Yeah. They
0: really, really do. They
1: really are, I mean, obviously a huge advantage to get humans to where they are. But they're also, but they're also our undoing a very big detriment. They are lot of our cases, undoing.
0: We can. We can. <laughs> As we all
1: deal with our own mental illness. So. Yeah,
0: more and more now. Mm-hmm. I feel being at...
1: aware of it and not just ignoring it and d- drowning it out with alcohol, mm-hmm. like maybe people did in the past. Actually, trying to deal with it.
0: I kind of feel though that, especially having gone through COVID for two years mm-hmm. and coming out on the other side of it. And we all know this, that many people drown things out with alcohol alone in their four walls, sequestered off mm-hmm. in a way that the ancients would have felt absolutely repugnant and horrifying. They yeah. drank together. Yeah. But they, I'm sure there
1: was the town drunk still. Probably. Right? Like I But that's was actually, expensive, too. Yeah, but I was listening to recently, not to go on a tangent here, about uh, the victims of Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. And how all of <laughs> as them... As one does. As one does. <laughs> but, like, all of them you know typically they're understood they're all sex workers all these types of things and it's like they were only sex workers because they were pushed to that state yeah where they needed money because yeah. they're all alcoholics yeah and they needed however many pence to have a drink yeah. and all this stuff but all, they were all like you know like so-and-so they all got murdered because in most cases they were drunk and like you know passed out somewhere and and or looking for sex work to that help them get their next drink right and taken advantage in this situation, that had to have happened throughout
0: the nineteenth century crack whore.
1: Yeah, so I'm sure this was happening in ancient Egypt too, where you have someone who's addicted to whatever, and stealing beer or siphoning off stuff or getting just enough money to then buy some alcohol or, you know. I'm sure you're right, but maybe not as maybe not the whole. Detriment of drinking by yourself, because I don't think a lot of people were, like, living alone.
0: I mean, the, the Industrial Revolution in London, Jack the Ripper's context, creates a, a more solitary, um, cut-off context for so many people that village ancient Egypt yeah. not, would not necessarily have allowed. And when you've spent time in modern-day Egypt and you see the one crazy dude in a village that everyone knows is gonna run up and down the street naked and you just kind of take care of him, put some mm-hmm. clothes on him, put him over here, try to figure things out. It's, it, I'm not saying it's easy to deal with mental illness or addiction in that way, but things happen in a village more than they would have in 19th century yeah. England. But yeah. but, I, but I see your point, yes, yeah.
1: Yeah, you might, yeah. You might deal with it. You, you know, people maybe don't get forgotten or ignored and kind of left to their own devices and let the system consume them in the same way. Perhaps.
0: I kind of imagine addictions in a village, antiquity, would have been aided and abetted in a way that you would not necessarily have done in a 19th century British context.
1: I think, too, with the Jack the Ripper victims, they're women, so it's yeah. all these other things taking um, hold. So, But I'm assuming, I don't know, if you're being paid in bread and beer, there's probably a lot of mm-hmm. beer about. Yeah. And it just maybe just was a given that, you know, you're drinking beer all the time. And again, the beer is less alcoholic. So, how much, how drunk you can really get on X amount of beer that's available? I don't know. It's a.
0: But there's also the argument that everyone's buzzed a little bit all the time. Yeah.
1: But then you develop a tolerance for that buzz. It's it doesn't so hit true. the same. It's so it's so like true. what, how they would have. I think also addiction and all these things are very culturally based about mm-hmm. how we think about them mm-hmm. and so how the egyptians would have thought of mental illness and addiction and other and we haven't even talked diseases. about opium yeah
0: right mm-hmm. it's other a other question. yeah
1: drugs that were available
0: yeah
1: um so i think you'd, you'd have to get their like emic perspective on like yeah. what if they even thought of addiction as something bad or something to be like something you don't want to happen or as a disease how we think of it
0: no because if you um, look at the love poetry for instance I'm drunk. being drunk oh. but drunk seeing your face mm-hmm. drunk hearing your words yeah. being drunk is like one of the best things you could ever possibly achieve mm-hmm. and having that much excess of alcohol for you to consume so that you can get to that state would have been yeah. you know glorious yeah. So, and and that's something, just the bare economics means that most people can't get to that state. So, yeah, drunkenness was perceived with positivity.
1: Yeah, maybe just, you know, the state's controlling the production of alcohol and stuff. You can't just, like, go by. There's not taverns about where you can just, like, stop by for a pint or something like this in Victorian England. So it might have been more controlled. So even if you had maybe an addiction or the predilection for an addiction it's so infrequently available or only available on like festival days or something that is like self self self-limited but interesting yeah super interesting thanks victoria (laughs) all right next we have josh who says as a still growing child in these studies i was wondering if there is consideration as a what grown child a growing child in the studies okay okay he's still
0: growing because yes. still-grown, it makes me think of still-born. I'm like, still no, you're not still-born, so a baby, a baby Egypt- <laughs> I went to the darkest place imaginable. A baby imaginable. Egyptologist. Okay, baby Egyptologist.
1: I was wondering if there is consideration given to the amount of information to know about topics. I mean, if you tell someone you study Egyptian history, they immediately assume you know all happening for 3,000 years. Mm-hmm. As an aspiring Egyptologist, I listen to this podcast and I'm almost overwhelmed at the vast knowledge you guys have. I know that you have a topic and are able to research it, but the answers tend to come off topic, right? That we can speak on a variety of things. The real question is, do you as people in the professional realm ever feel slightly overwhelmed by the amount (laughs) you don't know? And How have you been able to curb that and overcome? Maybe not the best question, but as I write my MA dissertation, it seems every time I think I have the right idea, I found someone who has proven the idea, idea wrong. Um, I still think Egyptology is somewhat a theory-based history, still a lot of absolutes that cannot be known. But man, does it feel like swimming in mud with no bottom at times. So how do you guys address this?
0: Oh, Josh, Josh, Josh. <laughs> um, do you ever feel like you, you can't know it all? Oh my goodness, yes.
1: That's the first part, is accepting that you can't know it all. Yeah.
0: Yes, but, Jordan, you know that there are some cultures that impose... An encyclopedic knowledge upon you and shame you mm-hmm. when you don't know something. Yeah. For instance, Kylie, our colleague, just yep. brought an image of a statue from Edinburgh mm-hmm. that I would never seen. Had you seen it? No. And I didn't know about it. I didn't know that there was this Dereal Medina statue of somebody offering a-
1: But we've seen Comparanda.
0: Not like that though. Some like- to off... For a Dereal Medina dude to be offering a statue of a king rather than a king offering a statue of himself in a kneeling pose like third intermediate period. I've seen that.
1: Yeah. Or a stela
0: or a stela. Yes. Yeah. Something the guy is in three dimensions and he's offering a two dimensional thing, mm-hmm. but to be offering a three dimensional thing, I've seen that for a king offering himself mm-hmm. or offering. But anyway, the point is, Stuff is we haven't that seen. <laughs> you and I hadn't seen it. And I like to create a culture in which we say we don't know things. I have never seen that. I don't know what that is. What can you tell me more? And and that's different from what I was brought up with. Yeah. What I was brought up with. And I'm not saying that that Johns Hopkins was like this horrible place where you could never say you knew anything. That's not the case at all, actually. But it was um, it was it, it was a more strictly managed curriculum with strictly managed readings, and you needed to know everything that was in the readings. And if you didn't know those things, then there would be. Um, Peer shame or hierarchical shame within those contexts. Mm -hmm. But because we don't have that kind of a strict curriculum at UCLA, at least in my classes, that means that that things get, uh, things happen in class all the time where I'm like, I don't know this. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what the date of this piece is or not, maybe not no idea, but, but, but But like,
1: that's my point is that we, at least at UCLA, we develop tools for our toolkit. Yes, we do of ways of attacking something that you might not know. So you might have... Yes, you know, tell us your tools. Well, like dating pieces, right? Yeah. So we have... We do an art sequence. Mm-hmm. Where we go through and like why things date to a certain period. And so you can get a piece and say, you know, I don't know it off the top of my head. But it A looks lot of the pieces ramassied. we will know off the top of our head. Yeah. But so you have this comparanda to compare it to. Like yeah. So internal. it looks
0: Ramessid. It looks 18th yeah. dynasty. It looks 4th dynasty. And then you, so
1: you pick those those things mm-hmm. and you can kind of date it within, you know, be as specific as possible within right. in those realms.
0: Right. Because I'm reading with the students now, mm-hmm. uh, since my colleague left, I'm reading with the students for a couple of years now, every quarter. And we ju- the students bring in things, I don't have time to prepare, so we just sight read, don't... I sight read, and, and I learn new things every time. I mean, the answer to Josh's question is that with 3000 years of history, art, economy, um, production of all kinds, there is no way to know at all. And with colonialism having gone into Egypt and taken things out and spread it to the Louvre, the British Museum, Edinburgh, New York, everywhere, um, it's really hard to know where things are and what their past contexts were. And so you have to know, oh, this person dug at this time and found these things, this is where it's published, this person dug there. So you, you need to know your main Excavations, you your also, main geography, your main art history, your main language—you'll be amazed what your brain can actually remember. It's true if you're immersing yourself.
1: If, like, you go through a MA and a PhD program of you know three to four years of uh, coursework, like you do get a really good ga- grasp of all this stuff, and you can pull from uh, from examples. So it's you'd be amazed what your brain actually retains and picks up from all these readings, and you put these things together and
0: i would also say that there's a part of your training or education in an ancient topic when you learn enough that it the amount that you don't know becomes so overwhelming to you and you you are able to see how much you don't know whereas if you're a complete newbie you have no idea what you don't know. So it doesn't seem that overwhelming. You learn a little bit of knowledge and then it just pours over you like a waterfall. You go, I can never know it. Yeah. I can never know it all. I can never know it all. Yeah. I mean, all I can say to you, Josh, is that to you, Josh, is that we have dreams of, we have nightmares about this that we can't know at all. That the embarrassment of riches that Egyptology has to deal with is tremendous and extensive. It will never be surmounted by any of us. Yeah. And that's why we have different specializations. The fact that you're saying this means that you now have a perspective into the breadth and depth of the field that you did not have before Mm -hmm. and you're in an okay place and and just know like when I first started my dissertation research and I went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York and I traveled up from Baltimore I'm like okay I'm looking at 19th and 20th dynasty coffins and I went into this one coffin room at the Met that everyone will know. They'll know when I say the coffin room of the Met that has the coffin of Nauni and the coffin of Kansu and the coffin of, of um, Iset Nofret, they'll know what I mean. You, I walked in there and I couldn't tell the difference between the coffins of the 19th dynasty and the 21st. And there was no one in the room. And I sat down and I silently wept because I couldn't figure it out. I was like, wait, how is, what's the difference? Why, oh my God, I can't do this. I suck, I'm mm-hmm. stupid, I'm horrible. But the more you work with it, the more the game slows down, the more you see the details. And now I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, you can see it. It's right here. And I'll be sitting with a student who's like, how do you know? How do you know? And I'll say, because of this, 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 and you can explain it, yep. but it takes time you to don't instantly
1: know. All these no,
0: things. you can't, you have to immerse yourself in these different subjects and topics. And you also have to find out where your brain immerses best. So some people immerse very well in philology and Mm -hmm. linguistics. Other people are better with uh, tales told aloud in a way, like reading things in translations and they Mm -hmm. can keep things in there. Then maybe they go to the text next. Other people are very art historically minded. Some people are very archaeologically minded. Mm -hmm. Some people are very architectural. It it depends on how you approach your subject. And um, you should go towards your strengths. Uh, Egyptology will encourage you to feel insecure for not being a super philologist, but do what you need to to maintain discourse within the field and then go where you feel you but have yeah. the most strength.
1: You'll never know it all. So, never, never. except find comfort in that.
0: And it's funny, now I'm at a point where I'm like, oh, I don't know that. And now I can say that with more yeah. confidence than I could before. To be able to admit you don't know something is a, privilege mm-hmm. it's something that I get having put 25 years into the field so now I can say oh I can say I can mm-hmm. say this whereas when you've been in the field for three four years you're like no I can't say that I can't let you know, anyone I'm know gonna look it up real quick I'm gonna look it up I'm gonna look it up and you google shit and you yeah. try to figure out what's going on and that's okay you're you're all you're in the right place we we all know what you're you're dealing with
1: but yeah but no worries keep tugging on your masters yeah you'll, you'll get great. there Our next question is from Kristen, who says my engineering education was woefully lacking in any history or humanities, so I find myself with gaps in my knowledge that hearing you guys talk about seems obvious. It's not. Don't worry. No. I know how strong the patriarchal structure was in ancient Egypt and now too, but where did it come from and when? By the time we get to the first dynasty, it seems like that system was already firmly in place. Do we have any evidence for how and when the patriarchy as we know it formed in an ancient Egypt? How far back do we get before things look less patriarchal? I remember in Kara's one episode mentioned that it wasn't always this way. So where's this like turning point?
0: Yeah. So first for the engineering, it's funny. This is um, how I met my husband because he did engineering um, too. And he, he works at Boeing and all of these things, but yeah, um, He's very interested in history and mm-hmm. and human hu- so, humanities, right? So I, I would never feel bad about that. Um, and then the the larger question is? So when
1: did the patriarchy in ancient Egypt, right? By the first dynasty, it's already firmly very established.
0: I mean, when are you going to date the patriarchy, Jordan? Um, it's a big question. <laughs> what, 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 what are you going to put it at?
1: I'm going to go with pre-people becoming settled.
0: Amber, when you put in the patriarchy? Agriculture. Yeah, agriculture. agriculture.
1: I think we always go back to private property. When certain land becomes mine, and that's yours, and this is mine, I think that's, and that only comes with settled, being settled, and settled in a place where you start having divisions of labor, and I'm gonna be the jewelry smith, and you're gonna be the farmer, And you're going to be and you're going to be the labor creator, i.e., the woman. (laughs) Well, no,
0: the woman ends up being commodified like a veal because she's there as the labor slash warrior creator, and And so
1: so pre-first dynasty we have kinglets within the Egyptian along the Nile, which is really late
0: in terms of which
1: is still like. Four thousand BCE, yeah. five thousand BCE, and
0: compared to other parts of the Fertile Crescent, yeah. it's a couple thousand years yeah. later.
1: Because yeah. they had the riches of Egypt to satisfy themselves on, yeah. they didn't need to coalesce and cooperate together. To resources weren't as scarce.
0: Yeah, I agree with um, all of this. Can so I, I can I add in one little thinking that? Yes, I agree. I want to add in one little anecdote because if you watch like the latest Mad Max with, um, what's the chick's name from South Africa?
1: uh, Charlize Theron.
0: Yeah, Charlize Theron. And she's got the shaved head and the one Mm -hmm. arm or something and she's awesome. And there's a a scene in there I tried to kind of put in the last book and they took out, which is these women who are hugely fat who are breastfeeding constantly Mm -hmm. and they're milking them. Because they're like, oh, we want their milk because there's no food left. There's no, you know, everything's a yes, desert food. landscape and there's no animals, there's no plants. The only thing we have is feeding off of other people, right? And so there's this apocalyptic fantasy, patriarchal mm-hmm. apocalyptic fantasy of when things go really horribly wrong. And you can read this in Cormac McCarthy's The Road. Yeah. You eat people, you rape people, male or female, and you milk Women, and and you read this, and you're like, oh my god, how will I deal with the apocalyptic collapse when the nuclear bomb happens and all vegetation is killed, or you could look back, you know, five thousand years ago, and that's exactly what it is. <laughs> we were <laughs> commodifying and milking women mm. five thousand, six thousand, seven thousand years ago, depending on where you were, and that was it was just the the way of of containing, controlling, and owning a part of humanity such that you could hoard resources
1: yeah. and have
0: a better say over your future.
1: All of it comes down to population sizes too, like how many yeah. people are living on a certain land- landscape using those resources. So when it's hunter-gatherer, small bands of people roaming around, and you're not really meeting other people, and there's no stress on the resources in the area, it's fine. Yeah. It's when populations start growing to the point where there is a stress on the environment of how many people are even if we're like pastoral nomads or something like this there's enough stress on the environment and you start need to like being like you feed there for this week and we're gonna feed there and then we'll swap and you start having to make these cooperative deals and that's my land that's your land and we'll switch next year and all these things and And then the
0: warfare starts and it gets really brutal and you have someone
1: who's co-opting you all give up something little, so I have some power, but then so you all have food. Right. And then women get the short ends. <laughs> right,
0: always. And children, too. And children, too. I, and anybody who fits on the margins of a binary society, so no. anybody who doesn't identify with get a strict male structure. or female mm-hmm. binary sexuality is going to have a hell of a time in a patriarchal community. No. I mean, the the answer... Who asked this question once? Kristen. Kristen. So the answer to Kristen's question is... I mean, I can't give all the answers, but, but patriarchy is new. And I would yeah. encourage you, Kristen, to look at what patriarchy has wrought. And if patriarchy has only been around for a few thousand years of the hundreds of thousands let's of years, 10. let's say 10, which is really pushing it. Yeah. And where we sit in Southern California, it's only been around for like 400 years. Yeah. And you look at the devastation that has been wrought from this way of life of hoarding, commodifying within a patriarchy, it is unsustainable. And the earth is not growing Mm -hmm. to sustain 8 billion, 9 billion, 10 billion people. There's no way you can actually see people opting out of all of it, whether it's a homeless person on the street that's like, I've got no time for your fucking labor and I'm opting out and I'm just gonna slowly decay. Or a person who's like, I'm not having your babies. I'm not having your marriage. I'm not buying the Me. home, yeah, in a, in a way, yes. No. And you opt out of all of these things that have been imposed by a patriarchal system. There's only so long that this can actually go with the earth being the size that it is. And the way um, we're treating her. And the way that we're, we're treating this because all of our air will become bad to breathe mm-hmm. in a certain amount of time. And Kristen, I would encourage you to look at my last chapter of The Good Kings because I go into it in more detail there. And it's hopeful. And it is a hopeful chapter. and um, it's on a kind of hopeful. It does. I tried to, it's, I didn't even try, I just wrote no, it. it. Just was hopeful. I just wrote it. This is the way that I see it. Yeah. It's a beautiful hard out that Mother Earth gives us. We can't keep redoing what Julius Caesar and then Mark Antony and Caesar Augustus and then what is on, yeah ex- on, uh, thank you and on <laughs> through time and time immemorial more battles more failures more reconsolidation uh, n- waves troughs more waves and troughs yeah. going higher every time we can't keep doing the cycle and the harm that it's doing to people's psyches souls emotions um, the amount of ptsd that people are currently living under in a late capitalist patriarchal system and the amount of um grassroots anti-patriarchal workarounds mm-hmm. that we are seeing is beautiful and um look to those things and and see what you think are the are the options but also know that the polarization that we find ourselves in this world is Part of that end stage of the patriarchy, however you define mm-hmm. that, say, no, we will keep our hoarded things. We will make America great again. We will go back to the 1950s way mm-hmm. of the way things were. And other people saying, yeah, fine, make us. Make me. Make me. And that's where we are. And it's a it's a very interesting time to be alive. Yep. And I would encourage you to bring out your anthropological uh curiosity. Mm-hmm. So that you, when you read the news, which is full of so much torment and devastation to, to try to feel it in a way that we are going through another human revolution. You are a part of it. I am a part of it. Mm-hmm. Gordo, you're a part. of it. Amber's a part of it. <laughs> and so it was we,
1: agricultural revolution. Now we have
0: Because that. we're thinking like agriculturalists. We're just doing it through weird corporate globalized capitalist capitalist mechanisms and it's no bueno and it's time to find a different way and the workarounds are starting they've been Mm -hmm. there for a good hundred years in some cases and we'll we'll see how our our uh, human experiment proceeds if we don't succeed humanity will not exist and that ain't that ain't so bad for the earth. I was gonna say for the
1: earth and everyone all the other There's animals. There's nothing wrong with like,
0: that. Yes, it'll they, it'll be a it brilliant be win for Mother Earth to not have humanity around. She's if, spinning
1: faster. She's trying to
0: fling us off. So n- n- I saw. She's she's not being as cruel as she could be. Wow. You know, compared to the plagues of the of the fourteenth thir- and fifteenth centuries, science. It's easy, but let's see what monkeypox and other things bring. Totally goes back. Polio's back, I'm vaccinated. I'm not. You're not vaccinated against polio. Max,
1: no. We're too young. They never they stopped. No,
0: no, no. Smallpox, you didn't get I vaccinated. Think... You got vaccinated against polio. Really? You did. Okay. You did. It's so much a part of your social fabric, you I don't didn't even look. Know. Julian's vaccinated against oh, okay. polio. You're good. Smallpox. They smallpox they smallpox you're not. Yeah. We both need that. Yeah. I need that too. Because I, I was born it. the year after I'm 1972. So Mm. like 1971, they were still giving people the smallpox inoculation. I did not get it. That's what we need. Yes. Uh, So we can all outlander this shit and go back in time and be like, I got my smallpox back that's my my scar on my arm and all this stuff. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. Um, So don't lose hope and be very curious about things and look at your systems and look at who has your scarce resources. And um, we're going to go through a whole lot of fires.
1: And cut off their heads.
0: But you're here asking the question. And you're here listening to yeah. this stuff. Which means, and this is just our little corner of the world. There's a whole lot of other corners yeah. of the world of people talking about this from a medieval perspective. An ancient Roman collapse perspective. An indigenous Native American perspective. There's all kinds of podcasts and discussions and groups out there. This is just our little corner. Yeah. This is, we are not alone. And um, you've got to hold to that and you'll... You'll feel a little better about looking at all of the crap yeah. that you see around you in the world.
1: Yeah. Lean into the curiosity and not the yeah. dread. <laughs>
0: yeah. And lean away from that goddamn patriarchy. Yeah. Because women can be can be tools of the patriarchy too. Mm-hmm. Easily. Easily. So
1: our next question is from Drew Varney the Vampire. <laughs> um, we have two questions from them. So how often... Do we know what different types of work that different classes did? So what type of work are different classes doing? Mm -hmm. And what did they do for play? Mm -hmm. And an easier question, what did the ancient Egyptians do for leisure? I think we had a similar question pop up on the podcast uh, at the live event earlier today. Um, But we can say that in most cases, men followed the trade of their father. Yeah. you know, in, interned. Um, so if their father was a carpenter, they probably ended up being a carpenter or right. something similar. Right. If their father's a priest, they probably ended up being a priest. You stayed within the class structures, similar mm-hmm. caste type mm-hmm. thing, right? Mm-hmm. No one from the super low classes are gonna jump to becoming like high priest of Amun or something like this.
0: It could happen, but rarely. And you It'd see it happening. Be like a coup or something. <laughs> not completely. You see it happening more in populist time periods. Right. Okay. So like in the reign of Ramses II, you could see a guy coming in as a mercenary soldier, mm-hmm. doing really well, moving up through the ranks, and then being placed as high priest of Amun with a new training, which is crazy. But you can see that where loyalty is prized more than specialization.
1: Okay. And
0: where population gets a little larger, Ramessid period Egypt is a lot like our world, a lot like our world, where you get Repetism. more social mo- mobility based on whether or not you're connected to the king. So, it's like a you know a pillow guy can walk into the White House and help create a coup because you know the populism is such that pillow guy is there part of the rallies and yeah. is helping with you know creating uh, conspiracy theories about. Uh, voting machines and other things, yep. but he can there, he can be there as a policy maker in a sense. Mm-hmm. If the coup had been successful, yeah. Pillow Guy probably would have been appointed to something extraordinary. Betsy DeVos, another case in point, mm-hmm. right? Her her brother Eric Prince it, was a merc, He's a mercenary corporate owner, mm-hmm. and so because of that, he he then moves into policy yep. um, connections and. And Betsy DeVos is there as Secretary of Education, and we could go on. Populism who, yeah, is kind of crazy. Someone who's willing to do
1: anything for yeah. the, the cause.
0: Um, but you're right that in the ancient world, most people do what their father or mother yeah. did before them, and if it's the mother, then be, uh, you're a keeper of the home. Keeper
1: of the home, rear your bearer kids, of the children, do some other tasks. within.
0: Women but, are barred from professions,
1: but then for leisure.
0: Yeah. Well, they get drunk.
1: Get drunk. We have evidence of games. Yeah, board games.
0: Senate was a good board game.
1: Playing board games
0: to pass into other realities Mm -hmm. or the senate means passing, um, passing to the next life. Board games. You don't like board games.
1: No, it's the. I'd be in the mood for them.
0: When I've learned new, I like Monopoly, and I play like a I fucking Monopoly, shark I get in too, Monopoly. Yeah, I'm
1: too competitive. Oh,
0: I get, I get kind of crazy, and I Remy has to walk away. This is my husband. He can't, he's like, I can't handle yeah. your board games. But it doesn't happen very often. Like once every yeah. four years or right something, frame. we break that out.
1: Usually, the boys want to play board games, and then Kylie and I really get too distracted and are talking, and they yell at us because we forget it's
0: our turn. Not, it's your
1: turn. You're They're playing like, God, the game. You're not paying attention, <laughs> and then we get yelled at. What games? I don't know, they like to play like, like Catan and like other more intense board games where mm-hmm. you really need to pay attention and there's a lot of rules. I like
0: Pictionary because you can draw dicks and things like that. It's <laughs> yeah, always Pictionary's really fun. fun. Pictionary's fun. Yeah, like, you know, like, <laughs> like shaking her head. She's like, that's on a podcast forever! You did that! That's true. We all,
1: <laughs> you know, everyone's played Pictionary and drawn a dick
0: yeah um drunk fictionary is so fun leisure so probably
1: fun. a lot of times they just like napped and mm-hmm. relaxed because gossip talk, hung out with people i heard about this girl she yeah. slept out of
0: her house and then she slept with this guy and blah 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 i
1: think as i said in the live event we have to think maybe their definitions of work slash leisure weren't mm-hmm. as stark as ours yeah um like Work nine to five, and then after five, you're off and can do no. fun things. No, like they wasn't, you know, they probably did some stuff, and then maybe took a nap, and then went back mm-hmm. to doing some work, quote unquote. And
0: and there's all kinds of rites of passage storing, telling, that we don't we don't pay attention to. Some rites of passage we do. Weddings are a big deal. Yep. No. Babies are a big deal. They would have been the same in Egypt, not the wedding part, but like if a, if a woman had had a baby, I can imagine all of the village women gathering yeah. together. To help with the new baby. Festival. Bring things over, like a little mini house festival, right? That we won't get written Mm -hmm. records about, but they're gonna, like 10, 12 women are gonna go over to a house and maybe sing a song, bring some beer over for the, you know, what new, what mother is just not given birth, what mother who, ha- who was given birth to a baby does not want a beer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's going to want that. And it helps with your breast milk production and um, all of these things. So they'll all go a over. funeral can
1: be a party. Yes, day, a funeral right? is a if huge you don't know party. them that well, you're like, yeah, I'm going to this funeral. They, just have, they have food and drink. And
0: Remy, who grew up in Hawaii, all of his family pictures are funerals.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he's got 19th century pictures. He's got early 20th century. And they're all everyone in their best yeah. outfits. That's All the for the death seen. of the patriarch mm-hmm. or whoever it was that died most recently. So funerals can be a, par- a a party to display, dress up, flirt. I know it seems weird. Yeah, but it's but that's normal. It's still a
1: coming together. Yeah,
0: it's the circle of Any, life. Any like
1: state festivals where they really of got course, off work and yeah. would maybe get dolls from the state. But here's a bunch of bread and beer to have a party. Or and something, a lot and... of those
0: festivals are determined by. The rising of a moon, mm-hmm. a particular full moon is coming. Maybe they know that star. there's a star rising, like Sirius is rising, and it's the you know coming. the flood yeah. is coming. Exactly, um, there, there's the sun is rising between the the Eukonics. gates of Karnak, yeah. Karnak, and you can see it in it is its exact way that it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. That would have been a huge festival, and the priesthood would have been waiting. Oh, the sun's almost there, ready to set in in between the pylons of. Of Karnak Temple on an east west axis.
1: And we have um, we have you know records of when these events festivals happen and it's actually really frequently that yeah, they had days yeah. off from work and there's a festival happening so they're really not working as much as we do. No. <laughs> you
0: know, I don't they're know. Getting imagine... off,
1: they're getting days off a lot for a festival here or there and
0: Imagine a 1950s corporate reality when you work for the boss and you have to get ready for the big party. Lots of three martini lunches. Lots of, oh, we're going to have the big game and it's going to be this firm versus Mm -hmm. that firm and you have to practice and things like that. There's more of that and less work until you bleed for Uber or Elon Musk or whatever. Because you're not
1: working for an hourly wage or something like this. It's like like, by the end of the month, you need to have this product produced. Mm -hmm. And it probably doesn't take you a whole month. Yeah. So you, you divvy up your time accordingly. And, which
0: we still do, but which we, we do, do on in our the slide. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know how much time you can take for something before someone's gonna start asking. Right. Hey, where's that thing I told you to do?
0: So Yeah, I just had that the other day. It was a <laughs> a review for an article and I'm so sorry. I think I was two months late. But I was working on my own book and I had all this other stuff and, and the poor guy wrote me He's like the hey. the, the author is waiting. I'm like, I am so sorry. But I got there. Yeah. Um just took me <laughs> it took me a little longer than we would like,
1: but you know presumably same leisure listen to stories around a fire, sing some
0: songs, sing some songs everyone's probably singing friends, every night, yeah,
1: chat chit chat, tell stories, mm-hmm. you know
0: mm-hmm. normal things yeah
1: and and leisure would probably also be like. Doing work, but for you to make profit personally,
0: you could we haven't also talked about babies, sex sure. at all. What do people do yeah. when they have nothing to do? Have sex? Yes.
1: It's like all the baby COVID babies mm-hmm. that have come out of COVID. Like, what else was there to do during COVID? Yeah, if you're with your significant other, either kill them or have sex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> we all got shut up into four walls, didn't we? Take you long it, walks. You made
1: it through that. Yeah, you're like, you're like, okay, like I guess I like you.
0: When you're reading Jane Austen novels, they're like, oh, we went on this six mile walk yeah, well, to the village of there's no whatever. TV, there's no Netflix. Right.
1: Like, what else are you going to do?
0: I, you don't read about the ancient Egyptians taking long walks. They it's probably take a boat hot. ride. Maybe they take a nice yeah. boat ride. Um, go to the market. You knew better. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't want to take a fucking walk. Yeah. All I do when I have a work call now is go out and try to take a walk. It's not doing anything. Our weather is so nice. Not Egypt in the summer. No, no. But Egypt in the winter, it'd be nice to take a walk.
1: At like sunset or something. Mm -hmm. So they enjoy a nice (laughs) sunset, you know. Our next question, same from Drew Varney the Vampire. Were there religious and our state protections for sex workers?
0: Oh, wow. Um, That's a
1: big, I don't know. Hmm. We don't have sex workers and in, like involved mm-hmm. in cult work like no. we see maybe in Mesopotamia where we have these like sacred prostitutes.
0: Yeah, and the sacred don't prostitute that. thing. That's I don't, also I don't. You know, buy that's really debated. Subscribe.
1: That's a Herodotus being like, "Ooh, sexy."
0: And and really, people take that on board and they yeah. they don't let that go. The sacred prostitution in Mesopotamia, um, not that there weren't divine marriages and maybe that people acted those things out, but. Um,
1: and I don't think, not like, you know, Amsterdam or something today where sex workers mm-mm. are, like, protected and, you know, oh, there's these safety protocols in place to keep them safe. and
0: There are protocols against women being raped and there are, this isn't sex work, obviously, this is unwilling sex labor, oh. uh, but there are from Western thieves mm-hmm. charges against certain people for raping and and then... Uh, demands for depositions, Mm -hmm. uh, interrogations even, and then punishments of some kind. But
1: we don't have like a lot of talk of sex work. No. At all. We don't have prescriptions against it.
0: And I don't don't know of a a word for prostitute, whore, that kind of thing. Yeah. Is there a word for prostitute? I'm going to look in my... I
1: think mainly because mm -hmm. you could engage in any of that premarital and it was cool.
0: Yeah, there was a lot more sexual freedom, which means maybe there was a lot you didn't more. Need to
1: pay for it. I'm sure it was there. Yeah,
0: a lot less economization of something yeah. scarce. You pay for something that's scarce, and or if that's sex
1: controlled, yeah, if
0: sex isn't controlled and scarce compared to other places, then you don't need to actually lay down coin, so to speak, for In a these way, things. Way I guess
1: you could think of the harem women as sex workers? Yeah,
0: you could. And they're
1: just for the king.
0: And they get their velvet prison. And he
1: pays for their upkeep and all these things. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they would have thought of it as sex work, how we think of sex work.
0: So I looked up the word, and I'm just using which is a a very simple phone app, so please don't judge me too hard. But I looked up prostitute, and I get the word meset prostitute whore or harlot, which is obviously a euphemism because it means the child.
1: Yeah. So it's
0: like, hey kid. you um, we'd
1: have to look up where that asset It'd have to be in a particular
0: context. And then there's the word henemu.
1: I heard I've heard it so that's the one that's in Hecanacht.
0: Yeah. It's like
1: other woman. And it might be it gets translated as like second wife or concubine. Mm-hmm. It gets translated as and no one really knows what it means. Yeah. But it's, and that's it. Yeah,
0: that's it. And then for the for the women of Dir Medina who act as slaves, enslaved people, or servants, um, the hemu or hemet, uh, there's little evidence that they gave sex, but I'm sure it happened. Yeah, I'm sure
1: it happened. I'm sure, it happened. Like like any
0: happened.
1: Enslaved. Yes. You know abuse. And for those on these people. for
0: the status of those women, was there any protection for them? Absolutely not. No. But sometimes. At Daryl Medina, there were manumission documents where people would adopt one of those enslaved people mm-hmm. because they had their children or there was some family connection. And so, but that's because they had become enmeshed as a part of their family. Yeah. It would be like Thomas Jefferson uh, freeing Sally Hemings, which he never did, right? Nope. He never did. No.
1: No, because if he did, again, tangent, she had to leave the state. Oh. That was his excuse. Okay. And so he freed the kids, but she was never freed.
0: Hmm. To keep her close.
1: Yeah. Wow. The kids were freed, but she was never freed. Icky. Yeah.
0: Absolutely icky. How he was able to square yeah. that in his own mind.
1: Yeah, and he claims that's also what she wanted, but who knows?
0: So much patriarchal mm-hmm. abuse.
1: Yeah. So sex workers, their rights and lives very Again, one of these things that we don't have any evidence for.
0: No. It's interesting, though. It it, it brings up a a call for a really interesting study on prostitution and where you see more of it. Do you see more of it in societies that control sex more? In the same way I'm that gonna, you... I'm going
1: to go with a yes. <laughs> because because
0: where do you see more clicks for for porn, but in red states where that evangelical Googling, like, societies and demand and more incest and uh, sexual abuse within the home within societies that control well, sexuality the, more? The answer is hella yes. It's the more you tell people mm-hmm. you can't do something, the more they want to do it. The more you keep something scarce, the more they're going to find a way. And if it's Mm -hmm. their own family member, they might very well do it. And for those of you I'm triggering, who've been victims of this patriarchal excess, we are so sorry. We are so sorry that that happened to you. But But it's, yeah, this is part of the beast that we're dealing with. Yeah.
1: On to our last question. Totally different topic. (laughs) It's kind of
0: like when we did our live event. We're like, okay, enough circumcision. Moving on to another topic. That happened today. Yeah. But anyway. This is what people are interested <laughs> about. I get it. Like, so how do people go to the bathroom? Like, well, they don't know. We have to that, that one
1: toilet.
0: We don't have anything. <laughs> yeah. don't that have one have anything
1: that one toilet. Anything? from Medina
0: yeah. Good luck. But anyway, yeah.
1: Uh, Katie asks, were there allergies in the ancient world, not just seasonal? God, but these questions being, are hard. I know, but being aller- allergic to things like food, animals metal, or other objects? Katie asks, because the coin question reminded her of her own allergies to gold and nickel. I'm going to go with a yeah, because we're humans and we are allergic to things. Our own, our own immune systems always fail us and we become allergic to things.
0: Can you imagine being the poor person allergic to flax or living in West Asia and being the poor person who's you allergic to wool?
1: Or like the person who's allergic to a bee and gets stung by a bee. There's no EpiPen. You, you just die. die.
0: You just die. From
1: anaphylactic shock. The yeah. person who's allergic to peanuts or you, some nut.
0: Yeah, you just you die.
1: Know, I can say that new study was just released about lactose tolerance right? and how the assumption always was that we developed lactose, right, as children we all have, we can all tolerate lactose and then as you get older and you're weaned, you lose the protein to metabolize lactose and then we all become lactose intolerant. But certain populations of people developed or kept the lactose tolerance gene um, and the assumption is it's the people who were drinking milk more and that it, we, you know, over natural selection, we selected for this gene that metabolized lactose because we were drinking milk more. But the study showed they tested a bunch of pots and they were, it was milk. It wasn't cheese. It was milk. Enzymes. It was milk. So who
0: I looked into Who drinks milk? What so weird just people?
1: People. So milk residues on ceramic fragments from other like 5,000 different ceramics from over like 500 different sites within Eurasia um, and they found that people were drinking and consuming milk to a high degree before there was any selection for lactose tolerance. So everyone just had diarrhea and a bad stomach ache because the... If they drank milk. The caloric intake was too valuable to disregard yeah. Yeah. and that it wasn't until other diseases, that coincided with the same symptoms. So like getting cholera or whatever, and that you were getting diarrhea to the point where you could die because of dehydration or something like that, then lactose tolerance started getting selected for because it was like, okay, having diarrhea all the time is like actually a bad no-no. <laughs> and it's because people living in cities together yeah. and things, disease and all this stuff was on the uptake, but when we were more nomadic and pastoral and having a tummy ache from milk Not And maybe having diarrhea is not a big of a deal, but when you're having diarrhea from drinking milk and you get cholera, you die.
0: How many times did you say the word diarrhea?
1: I'm sorry, but that's what it was.
0: (laughs) I will say that when you go to to pre-modernish places in modern Egypt Mm -hmm. and you see the way how hardy people's stomachs are, how hardy their tolerance is to the world around them, that... You, you, if you have allergies that are slight, the people around you are not going to care. They're not like today going to keep this thing away from you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you will be exposed to it, and you will your body will either die trying or will figure out a way to deal with this, with this trigger.
1: I have one thing to say about the milk thing, and there's that study where they did in Mongolia where all the people don't have the lactose tolerance enzymes. But they all drink milk all the time. Yak milk. And yak, horse, camel. And they don't have any of the enzymes to digest it. But the enzymes are in like the air yeah. and in the tent. And yeah. they're getting it from not washing the bowls and all this stuff. Yeah. That. So they're getting it from their environment. Yeah. So I wonder if that's more what was going and on I'm in And I'm sure they're seeded
0: by their mothers with the first movement down the birth canal.
1: But it's like they don't have the genes for it. But yeah. they can still metabolize it because of the yeast and other yeah. bacteria and things in the air that they're clotting.
0: I mean, two things, and, and we all know this, and I don't need to preach to everyone here, but number one, being super clean, keeping Bad. our home super clean, bathing all of the time, not living amongst our animals. All of these things mean that when we're exposed to these allergens or dust or or certain bugs, mites in the air, whatever it is, we will react more strongly. And, and then the, the other thing is that, with 30% of some modern populations born through cesarean section, without going through a birth canal, without being seated in your own, yes, breast milk too, with your gut biome, being seated with those things, double whammy, you get your colostrum. Mm -hmm. And then before that you you're seated by just your face moving down the birth canal. This is the, the way that you create this natural protection. Um, we're we're very weak in comparison to well, what the I ancient people the were.
1: High number of autoimmune diseases yeah. that we have now. I'm sure there was also a high number back then. They were just not you know diagnosed in the same way. But um, I read a re- I read a Atlantic article about why women tend to have more autoimmune illnesses than why m- and they think it's because we can bear children uh-huh. and so when you're pregnant. Your immune system kind of shuts off, right. Because you have this foreign body,
0: right? And so it's it's why cancer grows in people who yes. have can- women who have cancer when they're they're pregnant.
1: So if in you, you know so you have a baby and you, you shut it off, yeah. But women nowadays aren't having kids every nine months like they right. could, so it's your body's like ready to be shut off every once in a while from being yeah. pregnant. But we're not doing that anymore, right? So it stays on and it goes into like hyperdrive, and it's attacks itself. Which so were, in a way like being pregnant actually is a check on that and we're not being pregnant as much
0: because fuck the Patriarchy, because like
1: fuck the Patriarchy or you don't (laughs) want to, or you only want two kids and that's it or something like this. And it's fucking up the natural order of things,
0: which reminds us all that human beings are part of this world. We are animals too, and that we need to embed ourselves in the natural world. And when we look at our dogs drinking out of the toilet and going, (laughs) how did they do that without getting sick? There's, there's a part of us that used to be that.
1: Yeah, we used to eat like raw, scavenged meat from like <laughs> yes. dead, decaying animals, like a vulture.
0: And now we're like, oh no, we are special. Oh no, we would never. Yeah. And everything has to be clean, clean, pure, pure, pure. That purity has weakened us mm-hmm. extraordinarily, which is really interesting.
1: Well, it's like good to let your kids eat dirt and suck on things and maybe yeah. not now because of COVID, but like, you know, let them eat dirt. And but Anyway, they definitely had allergies. But probably not as much as us, I yeah. would
0: say. Because yeah, they were you know.
1: ex- exposed to a lot of... And they just died. <laughs> if and, you did, had oh something serious. Oh my goodness, serious. so
0: early. And you, the women died with yeah. childbirth, younger like, meso, women not osa, able to... You just died.
1: Yeah. You were weak.
0: Question of when you got malaria, not if you got malaria. Yeah.
1: You were weak in any way. Mm-hmm. You just died. Yeah. So, the ones that lived probably didn't have any serious allergies.
0: <laughs> Which made for a, a more healthy population. Because they've done studies of um, elk and other... Burned like not
1: proposing eugenics?
0: <laughs> no, but they've done studies of populations of roaming animals when they have natural carnivores to get them yes. and they are healthier populations. Whereas when all those carnivores are killed off, whether they be lions or wolves, those, those roaming populations of deer or elk or whatever gazelle are way more yeah. uh, sick. As a as a large population, and that's humanity right now with our eight billion people. So that's why, like as bad
1: as COVID and all these things are, that's our check, right? As terrible as it is, but you know,
0: there must be another way. But let's see what we can do.
1: We're not invincible.
0: Workarounds, create your workarounds. Yeah. This is this is all I can say.
1: And on that note, those are our August Patreon questions.
0: Which are always so interesting and unusual and like, oh, okay. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that.
1: Yeah. We like the questions we can't Mm -hmm. answer.
0: Yeah, it's fun. (laughs) I love the questions we can't answer. It's the most fun.
1: Thank you all. Um, Thank you so much. We love it. We'll see you for our next set of Patreon questions in September.
0: Okay, good. And we'll do another live too in the next quarter.
1: Yeah, we'll plan another live event and we'll let everyone know. Okay. The next uh, couple months.
0: So, everyone who's not a patron yet, please join Patreon. It helps support Jordan, not me. And we need yeah. you to do this. <laughs> we need you to do this. And, um,. It's, it's important for people to get paid for their labor, and I am appreciative. Of and we had fun today. You do, and I we think had everyone so much had fun. fun today.
1: So the more people we have supporting us, the more we can, you know, put time and energy yeah. into having these types of events. And, yeah, if you're and a patron, them.
0: you get to join our, our quarterly sessions where you get to ask us anything, and we have Just a lot hang of fun. Out and fun. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah, yeah. it's really good. Yep. Yeah. Well,
1: that's all for us. We'll be signing off. This is
0: Afterlives of Ancient Egypt.
1: Huzzah. Bye, guys. Bye.
0: Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with others and leave us a five-star review. Send us your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the show notes in the podcast section of my website, KarakuniEgyptologist.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There, you'll also find info on my books and upcoming lectures. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter to keep up on the latest news and content from me. Check out the conversations that happen after the podcast mic is turned off by subscribing to our Substack, stack, After Lives After Party. You can find me on Facebook at Karakuni Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Karakuni. See you next time on Afterlives with Karakuni.